0: This episode contains frank discussion of abortion and may not be suitable for younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. There was a guy
1: shows up at St. Andrews. He's a pastor in North Carolina. He went up and talked to Pastor Burke and then said, "Yeah, I just wish John Barrows was here." He goes, "John, he's up there by the pulpit." So he comes down and he's talking to me, and he goes, "I just got to thank you, man." I go. Thank you for what? He looks like he's sixty years old. you know what I mean? I thought it's certainly not an abortion thing, and he says uh he says, "No, I gotta thank you." My daughter uh went off the tracks, ended up getting mixed up and like they do when they go off the tracks, get into drugs and all that. And I said, "Oh, I'm sorry." And he says, "No, no, he says, she was down there in the abortion clinic that you go to. I said, "Oh, really?" She heard you preaching and heard the word, and she couldn't get it cleared from her mind. She finally told her boyfriend, said, I can't do this. I got to get out of here. And he said, well, if you get out of here, I'm just going to take you to your dad's and just drop you off. I'm done. He did. He took her home and dumped her on the porch. And they, of course, her and her parents had been at odds and all that for a long time. Immediately, God redeemed that all back together and the relationship with them he had this his little grandson his name's Matthew it's a beautiful little boy hi my name's Ashley Rogers and I live in Florence South Carolina I absolutely love listening to compelled podcasts I listen as I walk my dog through my neighborhood The stories are so captivating that I go from crying to rejoicing and raising my hand up to the heavens and saying out loud, thank you, Jesus. My neighbors may think I'm crazy, but I don't care. I am so blessed and encouraged by hearing how God steps
0: in and shows his love and provision every time to these everyday people. I know you'll enjoy today's episode. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to COMPELLED, where we use gripping, immersive storytelling to bring Christian testimonies to life. This is the first episode of season six. If you listened to our season premiere extended preview on airing the Addisons on American Family Radio last week, then this includes the exciting conclusion to John Barrows' testimony that we played over there. But if you didn't hear our season premiere last week, then you are in for a real treat. Our guest today is John Barrows, who, after undergoing several medical emergencies, would have been labeled by the world as a broken man, and yet God has chosen to use John as his instrument to save countless unborn lives from abortion. How? Well, there's only one way to find out. Gather around, lean in, and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. I sat down with John at his apartment in Orlando, Florida, just a few months ago in February. The weather outside was stormy and lightning was striking all around us. And to be honest, the outside environment resembled John's childhood.
1: My grandfather was a missionary in Brazil. They went on furlough one time. They went to Toronto and my dad met my mom. I didn't know this. how how this came about until 50 some years later. But my dad and my mom, you know, got together and next thing you know, she's pregnant. And uh, back then, you know, it wasn't, you just went and had an abortion, not in 54 anyway. I ended up being turned over to my dad's aunt for the first four years of my life. So I never really bonded with them like, like you do with your kids or like I did with my kids. I mean, it's just, it's a a strange thing. I mean, you kind of feel like you don't belong, you know, growing up. Did you,
0: as a kid, did you believe that God was real? Yeah, it was
1: kind of like, you know, believe that God was real in the weird sense of uh, when you see the clouds, or there has to be something behind this, or every year, my dad would take us to Yosemite National Park. It's so beautiful. And you, you would just have to know that there was something else. But as far as the gospel, as far as knowing why Jesus had to come, why he, what penalties he had to pay and all of that kind of stuff, no, I had no
0: clue. Those feelings of insecurity at home led to John being a pretty difficult child. He had a lot of anger and was always fighting and getting into trouble. And by the age of 15, he had left his parents and struck out on his own in Southern California. This was during the early 1970s at the pinnacle of the hippie movement. And by the time John was 21, he found himself mixed up in a world of dealing drugs, petty theft, and other illegal activities. Eventually, he was caught and given an ultimatum by the authorities. Either go to jail or join the military.
1: So you know I'm not stupid so I I went and I joined the navy and then the big problem with the the navy if you go somewhere to try and start over try to get something the problem is you bring you with you you know I'm I'm no different than I was when I left so I get in trouble in the, in in the navy and I was a brawler and all of that kind of stuff and I ended up uh punching an officer and you don't do that i mean you're going to spend time in the brig so i ended up in the brig in long beach california and i was there 30 days on bread and water and while i was in there i they gave you two books that you could read one was the blue jackets manual which is a how to be a better sailor and uh i didn't want to read that and there was a bible there and i started to read that Uh, i just came to my end during that time because i was you know all alone just all alone with me and and i didn't like it i didn't like me i didn't like anything and i um i asked god i prayed that day i said uh god if you if you're real show me show me that you're real and uh and save me and of course you know i would read my bible and every word in it would just convict me I, i hear people all the time talking about how they read their bibles and all this beautiful stuff and they saw i didn't see any of that i just saw um
0: i just saw condemnation really do you remember what part of the bible that you were reading at the time
1: it was romans probably that really got me it was anywhere i mean i even tried to find something in the psalms you know the chapel in there told me to read the psalms and I, I just couldn't see, I couldn't understand any of it. I was unregenerate. I was, you know, it just, none of it made any sense to me. So I just put it down. God never showed himself to me to be real or anything. So I ended up doing my time. And then I had three days before I had to catch a plane to Yakusuka, Japan to get back with my ship. and. So I went down to my father's gasoline station on uh, Beach Boulevard in Huntington Beach. I mean, it was, you know, just a little ways away from the thing. And so I went down, I called my brother, called my friends and said, let's go do something. You know, let's, I got a few days to kill and all that. And so they all came down to my dad's service station and I was standing out back. We were standing on the back of the place and we were talking trying to figure out what to do
0: what what kind of thing would y'all normally have done if you were going to get together
1: go drinking and carrying on you know and uh all of a sudden uh, there's this like traffic jam people honking and everything in the middle of beach boulevard and some guy had broken down out there so we looked at we, we decided to go push him into the station to help him you know so we run out there we start to push him in and i'm noticing on his he had an old pickup truck, I think it was a Ford. He had painted with a paintbrush, Jesus Lives, Jesus loves you, and all this stuff all over the side of his truck, the back of his truck, the hood of his truck, everything. And it was just how things were then. Like like you were saying earlier, the hippie kind of movement time. So We push him into the station and he jumps out of his, he was a surfer guy, he jumps out of his truck and says, praise God, there must be somebody here he wants me to talk to. And uh, he had uh, waist length, blonde hair, and he was your typical, what you would think of a surfer uh, back in the day. (laughs) So he starts to preach. Literally.
0: Had you responded and say like, no, there's no one here to time you? No.
1: I mean, we just, my dad fixed his truck. There was just, I think a wire was broken or something. But this guy stood there and we're all leaning against the side of my dad's gas station. And this guy just starts sharing the gospel with us. And something happened that was so strange. I mean, none of us even moved an inch. I mean, it was like we were frozen in time. I don't know how to explain it and it was my brother my best friend and a few other friends we're all just standing there and didn't say a word usually like when i was growing up when i was in high school and stuff you know i'd make fun of those guys you know but this time uh we were just standing there and after he was done sharing the gospel he said thank you guys he said thank my dad for fixing his truck and um he says I, I hope to see you one day and uh, he jumps in his truck and he takes off and we're standing there and somebody said what do we do now and I said I don't know I guess we do what everybody in Southern California then did and that was you go to Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa and Chuck Smith was the pastor there you know there were thousands of uh, people our age going to that church. The church was open literally 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There was always something going on there. I think it probably still like that today. And even at night, I think it's at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock, people pray all night there. They go in there and there's a prayer room and they pray. I mean, it's always open, it's always open. But anyway, we went there and of all nights, we went there, it was a married couples class. And there was hundreds of married couples in there. And we just slid in the back row. And we're trying to figure out what's going on. And you know, the guy was very perceptive. Uh, At the end, he said, you know, there's something different here tonight. And he he said, if any of you uh, would like to know more about uh, Jesus and having him be the Lord of your life, he said, I encourage you to come down afterwards. And uh, so they closed up. We went down and they uh, shared the gospel with us again. That's how I was saved. I'll never forget it as long as I live. I, I know everybody's day that they're saved is very special to them. And and this one was very special to me, yeah.
0: What about your brother and your other friends? Did they make professions they're, that night Oh too? yeah,
1: one of them just died, Bob, but he was a, a believer till the end. Um, my best friend, Dennis, was uh, uh, is still a believer, lives up in uh, Oregon, I believe, and, uh, and my brother is absolutely a, a believer, all of us on that same day.
0: That was September 1975, when John was just 21. John left the Navy as soon as he could and started working in construction, but even after John gave his life to the Lord, things were not perfect, in fact, far from it. The next 25 years went by and there was still a lot of sin and baggage that had to be dealt with. But even amidst John's own failings and trials, God was going to prepare him for the work he was calling him to.
1: I committed my life to Christ, but I had a it was a it was it was tough. He held on to me, you know. He brought me through a lot of stuff, a lot of sin, a lot of everything i ended up falling into sin, terrible. I uh, ended up having an affair with somebody, ended up getting excommunicated, and I believe in excommunication. But I got, ended up getting excommunicated, and, and then years later, um, or it wasn't that long later, but the Lord uh, opened my eyes and called me back to him, and he hung on to me. He hangs on to me today, and I'm just the most thankful guy ever. I did not walk a perfect life. I still don't walk a perfect life. I don't know anybody that does. But my goal is to become more and more like him. My goal is to please him. And uh, I'm just so thankful for what he's done for me. And then I ended up moving to Florida from uh, California. I came out here because I came out to visit uh al Moyni and john frankman come out here to start a seminary with rc Sproul at uh, the orlando area uh moved out here i loved it my pastor when we moved here a wonderful man pastor jim fitzgerald he would ask me he kept asking me john you want to go to the abortion clinic with me on saturday and i said what what would i want to go there for and he'd say, come on. You know, he's an Irish guy. <laughs> come on. I'd say, no, 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 no. I'm not going down there. There's no way. And uh, finally, I'd like to think it was some spiritual way of doing things. But he said to me, he said, John, come on, let's go. I'll take you out for a cigar afterwards. I said, let's go. <laughs> so went down to the abortion clinic. And oh, my goodness, did I hate it. I hated being there. It was just so awful. You could just literally feel the oppression there. It was so, so heavy.
0: Now, in case you didn't follow, John was standing outside a specific abortion clinic in Orlando, Florida, which is responsible for many of the city's abortions. He and other volunteers would stand on the public sidewalk trying to speak to women who were entering the abortion clinic and dissuade them from killing their babies. Obviously, the presence of John and his friends was not welcomed by the abortion clinic staff or their allies, which could lead to some pretty heated conversations. But John and his friends were earnest in their desire to save these precious lives.
1: There was a lady named Patty Smith there and a lady named Allura Lightfoot. They were so nice, and I could see the passion in them and the willingness to serve under some pretty... Hard uh, conditions. And so something kept pulling me back there. Uh, I would go back and I would go back on Saturdays and whenever I could because I was working. Then something happened. I ended up getting uh, cancer. And the doctor, this was so weird, all in one day. I mean, they discovered it. And then the doctor told me, You better get your affairs in order. I said, What are you talking about? He says, you better get your affairs in order. He says, you have this massive tumor. It was bladder cancer, but 95% of my bladder was a tumor. And the cancer that you get in bladder cancer is like the strongest there is. Believe it or not, if it stays in your bladder, it's okay. But if it gets out, it's death. I really thought, what? So they started this experimental uh, chemo that they had, and my doctor did four different surgeries uh, to get it out, and then after a couple years of uh, keep going through all this stuff, then it was finally gone. It would come back. It would keep coming back, but not for the last few years. It has not come back. Praise God. I mean, I'm so thankful that. Then after that, I got a, a brain aneurysm in the it's called the communication artery in your brain. It's a small, small artery, but it was starting to leak. I had to get it major surgery. They core drilled a three inch hole in my forehead and they went in and uh, like my surgeon said, we smushed your brains over to the side of your head to get down in there. He said, there's no other way to tell you how we do. But I even asked my neurologist, I said, how did he do that? We have no idea. He's a genius, whoever did, because it was such a bad area, such a hard area. But then I ended up having another one and my brains were scrambled. I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know anything for months and months.
0: You had a second aneurysm.
1: Yeah. And I would walk, I mean, I would literally walk into neighbor's houses thinking I'm at home. I'd sit down on their couch and And, uh, I mean, that's how bad it was. I mean, I just, I really didn't know who I was. I was afraid of the outside world. I
0: didn't, I mean, it went on for a long, long time. By this point, John was 54. After two years of chemotherapy and cancer surgeries, followed by two back-to-back brain aneurysms, John was in pretty bad shape, physically and mentally. He could barely take care of himself, let alone care for others. And yet a broken vessel like John is exactly who God was planning to use, which you'll hear about right after the break. As a teenager, I had so many friends whose lives were transformed by attending a Worldview Academy leadership camp. For many of them, it was the highlight of their summer because it was such a spiritually engaging experience. And today, Worldview Academy's mission continues. If you have a student between 13 to 18, and you care about equipping them with biblical truth so that they're prepared to stand firm and engage with the culture, then Worldview Academy is what you're looking for. Worldview Academy's week-long summer intensives cover topics in apologetics, servant leadership, and evangelism, all while building deep friendships with like-minded students. Your student will engage with 25 hours of interactive teaching, addressing questions like, how do I know that the Bible is true? Does God really exist? Who defines what is right or wrong? And what difference does that make in my life? Since 1996, over 42,000 students have called this one of the best weeks of their life. And with 18 summer intensives all across the country, there's certain to be one near you. Learn more and get 10% off your student's camp registration as a Compelled listener by using the promo code COMPELLED at worldview.org. Register for camp today at Worldview.org while spots are still available. And remember to get 10% off using the promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. And their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part, they have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a Compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Welcome back to Compelled. Earlier, we heard John Barros describe how he and his friends were saved through the witness of a random California surfer who told them about Jesus. Then 25 years later, after several ups and downs, John was now living in Orlando, Florida. He barely survived bladder cancer and then almost immediately suffered not one but two brain aneurysms back to back. John's cognitive function was so impaired that at times he could not even remember who he was. These were some very dark days for John, but even when he could not remember himself, God still did. One day in 2008. As his brain began to slowly heal, John felt a seemingly random nudge to head back to a familiar place.
1: I got in my truck and I thought, I'm going to go down to that abortion clinic because I've seen God work there and I want to go out and pray there. And I thought, you know, looking back later, I thought he can hear me just as well on my couch. You know, I I don't know why I went down there, but
0: I went down there. And you were going to go there for to ask for healing for yourself. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like pray for other people there. No, it. no, no.
1: I just wanted to go and, uh, and pray there. So I went there. It, it was slow or whatever. I don't know what was happening. And I was just sitting there and I was just praying Lord. And I couldn't really even come up with a prayer. And this young black girl, uh, she walks around me mm-hmm. and is heading into the abortion clinic. And I said, wait, wait, wait. I said, can I talk to you a minute, miss? And she stopped and looked back and said, yeah. And she came over and sat down on the wall next to me. And we talked for an hour, hour and a half. There's no way I can tell you what we said. I have no way of remembering it. I didn't remember it when she left. I mean, it was just because I wasn't with all my wits, you know? I talked to her and talked to her, and she began to cry. And then she stood up, I was still sitting, and she bent over, and I could still feel her tears. As she kissed me on the cheek, the tears from her cheek came down onto my cheek. I'm just going, what is this? And she goes, I want to thank you. She says, I'm not going to do this. I said, what, really? And and she goes, yeah. And she just turns around and walks away. And when she walked away, something happened that I don't even believe in. I mean, I, I don't know how to explain it. I did not hear any voices. I didn't hear anything. But I felt this warmth come over me, just like encapsulate me, from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I just said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, take care of my family. And He's done it. God has just done the most incredible things for me. I mean, I've never asked for a dime. And different people every month have taken care of all these years. He lays it on their heart. He's the one that does it. I don't have some campaign to raise money or whatever. He always provides. He always provides for everyone that, um, that we minister to. I haven't paid for a car in 20 years. I, I don't know how to explain it to you. That's what I thought when I was there that day was... Lord, if this is what you want me to do, take care of my family. And I've been there all these years. God has just done the most amazing things that
0: you could ever imagine. In the midst of John's darkest days, God brought a ray of hope back into his life. From that moment forward, John has pursued every opportunity to minister to mothers and their unborn children outside that very same abortion clinic. And for the past 15 years, John has been at that same clinic every single day, every single hour that they're open for business, winter, summer, rain or shine, John is there. And over the last 15 years, John has witnessed God's grace at work countless times. And some of the stories he shared with me are nothing short of miraculous.
1: Let me tell you about Jade, because this is beautiful. So it would have been probably about eight months ago or so it was last year but they were all lined up like i told you out in front of the abortion clinic and so i'm preaching and this girl is uh i can still see her there standing she's like the third from the end and i'm preaching and i look and in her eyes she just starts bawling and she walks gets out of the line and walks over to me and i thought what is she doing I, You know, <laughs> what, is, what is she gonna do and she walked over to me and said do you really think that God would send me to hell? And I said, well, yes. (laughs) I said, but it doesn't have to be that way. I said, I can talk to you about this. So I go over to the wall, she came over with me, and we sat there for a couple of hours, went through the gospel with her. I explained to her that she's not gonna go to hell because of her abortion. She's going to go to hell because she has Adam's sin. Everybody is on the road to hell at conception. King David talks about it in Psalm 51 when he says, In sin did my mother conceive me? doesn't mean his mom was a whore. It means at conception he was given Adam's sin. And what does he blame on that? He blames his adultery with Bathsheba, blames the murder of her husband Uriah and all his men on. It's the fact that at conception he was given Adam's sin. That's how far back I take it when I take it through the gospel. And I talk about how God's not sitting up there figuring out, you're going to go to heaven, you're going to go to hell. Everybody's on the way to hell. Jesus in John 3, 17 said, I've not come into the world to condemn the world. The world is condemned already. Everybody's condemned. Everybody's on a river going straight to hell. So I went through all this with her, and she committed her life to Christ. She chose life. And this was beautiful. Mm. We had a wonderful baby shower for her. It was so beautiful. And then God redeemed her and her boyfriend, redeemed her and her mother. Then her mother came down like months later with Jade. And she asked me, John, could you show me where Jade was when God spoke to her? And I said, yeah, right there by that bush. And her mom just stood there weeping. And thanking God for saving her daughter and granddaughter. is so beautiful. So beautiful.
0: That is beautiful. It is, man. That is beautiful, and man. The
1: baby's name's Sage. Wow. Yeah. Jaden Sage. So beautiful. Now, you know, I'm going to tell you this. Every baby that's saved, that God saves, is a miracle. Every single one of them. But some of them, to us, look more miraculous than others. But to him, that's there's nothing more miraculous. I mean, whatever he does, he does. And that's the way it's going to be. But there was a, a, a guy that was driving down the street that I'm on. I was out there preaching. And all of a sudden, I hear behind me this guy just screaming in, in his car in Spanish. And I'd never stop. I don't stop preaching because, you know, you're going to get people all day long screaming at you from the street. But then all of a sudden, this uh, lady named Yoli was there. And she says, John. And I said, what? She goes, you got to come here. I said, I can't, I'm preaching. There's no way I can't, Yoli, you know. She goes, no, you have to come this time. And I turn around, and I look, and here's this guy crying. And so I said, what's up? What's going on, Yoli? And she goes, John, he says that he was in here with his wife. She said, you need to come and say hi or something. So. I walked over there and the guy's fumbling with his phone, and because this gets really weird, this guy's fumbling with his phone, and then you're all tech savvy, I don't know what it is, but next thing I know, here's his wife on the screen of his phone talking in Spanish. She's got this little baby in her arms and she's bouncing him up and down and all this. And I, I said, Yoli, what is going on? And she, because it was so weird and she's crying she got tears pouring down her face and she, Yoli says John they said they were in there and you were preaching and God opened their eyes and they chose life and they just want to say thank you for I said okay and I go all right guys I said why don't you come to St. Andrew's on Sunday and we'll go out to lunch or something so Yoli told him that and then I said, it's good to see you guys. And I waved at his wife, and and then I, I go back to preach. And then Yoli's back there talking to him, and then the car starts to take off. And I had this weird feeling, and I said, Yoli, stop that guy. And she goes, why? I go, just stop him. So she hollered, and he stopped. I walked back over to his car, and I said, Yoli, ask him, what did he hear? I said, they don't speak English. And he said that they heard everything I said in their own language. It was—I still, to this day, I—I—and I, it's happened like three times. And again, yeah, is that me saving a baby? No, you can't. It, who, who can? Who can make claim to this stuff? Do you, do you speak Spanish? No. No, just curse words. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, I had no idea. See, it's not me. I can't do that. Mm. Who can do that? Can you do that? I don't know anyone that can. I see people try to claim that they're saving babies, but I who would? I would never in a million years. Get, I cannot give someone a new heart. I cannot open eyes. You know, these people, they're there. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us why, and this is the lens I look through when I'm down there at the abortion clinic. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says to correct those that are in opposition. If perhaps God will grant them repentance, open their eyes that they might see the snare of the devil having been taken by him to do his will. That's how those people are. They're shackled in there. They really are, and they're blind. There's no worse of a position to be in than blind and shackled. But God pierces in there, and he does what he's been doing since all the time. He heals the blind. He gives new hearts, and he brings people to himself. I mean, it's there's nothing like it.
0: Wow. Isn't our God incredible? Nothing is impossible with him, not even language barriers. These stories are just a fraction of the testimony that John can bear witness to of God's faithfulness in his life and those he ministers to outside the abortion clinic. But perhaps the most memorable story was about to be told coming up after the break. You love Christian testimonies. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to Compelled. But imagine if you could enjoy Compelled stories from Christians throughout the ages, including those who've already passed away. Well, that's what our friends at YWAM Publishing are doing through their Christian Heroes book series by retelling the incredible stories of Christians like George Mueller, a man of prayer who ran an orphanage for 10,000 children in England who trusted God to miraculously provide food and shelter for those orphans, sometimes on a daily basis. Or Elizabeth Elliott, whose husband was murdered by the Aca tribe in Ecuador but chose to forgive and move in with the tribe to share the gospel with them. Or Brother Andrew, who during the height of the Cold War smuggled Bibles to Christians behind the Iron Curtain, all under the noses of communist border guards who could have imprisoned him for life or worse. These are the types of stories that YWAM Publishing is printing, and their books are written for kids ages 10 and above, but frankly, adults love them too. They've published 50 of these biographies so far, and we just partnered with YWAM Publishing to bring you five of my favorite stories. These are the Christians that have inspired my faith and millions of others for decades, which include the three testimonies I just mentioned, as well as Corey Tin Boom and Amy Carmichael. We're calling it the Compelled Christian Heroes Bundle, and I actually worked with YWAM to select these five specific stories, and they agreed to drop the price in half just for compelled listeners. So it's $30 and includes free U.S. shipping. To buy this bundle for yourself or to give to a friend, visit compelledpodcast.com YWAM. That's the letters Y-W-A-M, compelledpodcast.com YWAM. And trust me, if you love listening to stories on Compelled, you're going to love reading these stories too. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcast's top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Welcome back. We've listened to John Barris tell some amazing stories where God was powerfully working outside the abortion clinic, saving lives both physically and spiritually. There was one other exceptional story John related, which you're about to hear. But before he shared that, I asked him to spend a little time and describe what ministering outside the abortion clinic looks like every day.
1: Up till June of uh, last year, it looked like people would come and they'd come to go have an abortion and when they walk up, we would offer them brochures, offer them a real doctor that they could go see for free 10 minutes from there, get them their free ultrasound, free medical help, financial help. Our church will help them with whatever it is they need as well, as well now as other churches. That's what it would look like. People would get angry. The guys would get angry mostly because they don't look at this uh, the way you do or I do. They they look at this uh, baby being 20 years of payments, and they don't want some guy standing there making them have to do 20 years of payments. So they 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 get angry at times. You know, they'll sometimes get uh, rather testy, pull guns and knives and all that kind of stuff. Not all the time, but at times. And then uh, that's what it would be like then. But now, since June, uh, Roe v. Wade went down. And now these uh, pro-abortionists come down there and stand in front of the clinic and go against us every day. Today, there was a dozen of them there and screaming and cursing and telling pornographic stories, you know, doing anything to keep you from preaching. Uh, I preach there probably three times a day and they do everything they can to keep these people from hearing the record of the place and hearing what God thinks and what we can do for them. So there's a lot of opposition that way now, but God is not thwarted in any way, shape, or form. Uh, He uses them as pawns. He uses them to get people out of there because they they see all this craziness going on out there, and it, it actually helps. But that's what it looks like. Like I said, we have a brochure for the Choices Pregnancy Center over here. You don't have to have an appointment there if they come from this place. So if they go there and just tell them the fat guy sent them, they'll uh, <laughs> they'll uh, they'll put them inside, and uh, and they will uh, they will see them immediately, and they will uh, get them an ultrasound. They'll get them free medical help, free financial help. They'll help them with other community services. Whatever they can't help with, we will. That's the first thing we say to anyone. We can help you. And so many times we say, no, you can't. No one can. Yes, we can. And then we'll share the gospel to tell them that uh, God sent us here. In Proverbs chapter 31, God says to be a voice for the voiceless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. God in his kindness has followed you all the way here calling out to you not just to your baby but to you as well that he wants to deliver you from this place he wants to deliver your baby from this place and what and depending when you're talking to uh, like the one-on-one things then you go down that road how their baby is no accident how oh, the book of ruth god says god granted conception to ruth that you're not pregnant because you had sex but you're pregnant because god granted you conception and to try to bring that out and show them that. Show them that in Psalm 139, how God talks about their baby being fearfully and wonderfully made in the secret place and how their their womb is the master artist of the universe's art studio, that uh, he is hard at work creating a one-of-a-kind masterpiece that so there will never be another one like that, ever. Even science tells us there will never be two people alike, ever. And, uh, you know, you start to go into the harder things. You say that God shows us how valuable your baby is. In Exodus chapter 21, there's a scene where a man hurts a lady that's pregnant. He hurts her by accident, and she miscarries, and the baby dies. And the Bible says God required the life of the man that hurt her. It says life for life. That baby in her womb and your womb is a life, it's a person, it's not a blob of cells, like these people tell you. It's not all of these things. Your baby is a unique person. Jeremiah chapter one tells us: Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. God knows your baby. God named your baby, just like He named you. I said, Your baby is precious. Your baby is the biggest gift that God can give you as a person. And You know, you go into those kinds of things, then you tell them, you know, you have to tell them, tell them, you know, this is the worst sin you can commit. I said, Jeremiah 19. I said, God calls this the unthinkable sin. He says it never crossed his mind for people to slaughter their own children. I said, this is like the lowest thing a person can do to kill their own children. So, anyway, I go through all that and then explain about what God can do for them, how they need to repent of this and repent of their sin. That can be the biggest day of their life. That uh, the God of the universe is here and he's calling you to trust him, to trust him and turn off of the road that you're on, repent of your sin, and just remember that he is the one that came. He lived a perfect life and died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again from the dead to show God's satisfaction with his sacrifice. You know, we go into all of that stuff. I mean, it can go down so many different roads. We try to make sure everything's covered. But you, again, are so
0: limited by time. Unfortunately, my time was limited as well. But John had one more amazing story to share. And in all of my interviews to date, I have never heard a story like this one. And it took place about seven years ago in November.
1: I was down there on a Wednesday before Thanksgiving. And uh, something strange was happening because there was hardly any people there for an abortion. Yet the parking lot was packed and it was all workers. It was workers from... abortion clinic I'm at and then one they used to have over on Virginia Drive which is like maybe four miles from from this one I was out there and I was sitting on the wall and you know when nothing was happening and then I thought I'm just gonna sit here and pray because I I didn't know what to do because it was done early I mean they're never early like that and so I sat on the wall and I was praying and as I was praying I hear this voice this voice is saying John and I thought You know, I couldn't see anything. I'm looking, and and then I hear, John. And I look down, and down on the back on the corner of the building was this uh, lady by the name of Taria that runs the abortion clinics. I love her. I mean, I love all of the workers there. I always have, all these years. They know it. They love me. They tell me they love me. And, I mean, we get after it. You know, love isn't spelled N-I-C-E. Anyway, she called me again. John, come on in. I said, are you out of your mind? I'm not going in there. And she goes, no, there's nothing of abortion here. I said, this is the basement. There's nothing here. We want, we want to thank you. And I said, you want to thank me? And she said, yeah. I thought, what is this? And I thought, I'm not going in. And then I thought, I really felt you know, that I should. So I went to the back door, and this guy came out and frisked me. And then to uh, make
0: sure you weren't going to like, you know, hurt somebody or something. Yeah.
1: So I walked inside, and here's all the workers that I know. I'm looking, there's this, there's nothing to do with abortion going on in there. It's it's like an empty, big, empty uh, room, huge. And there's all these workers are in there, and there's a table with all this spread of mostly Puerto Rican workers. So it was like a Puerto Rican flavored Thanksgiving dinner, right? They had ham. They had turkey. They had rice. They had. It, it was, it was pretty cool. So one of the ladies that <laughs> really doesn't like me much, but she does love me. Um, she's serving me a plate of food. John, would you like this? Would you like this? And everybody's coming over. John, thank you for being out there, and thank you. And I'm just like what? feeling like I'm in a Stephen King novel,
0: right? The abortion clinic workers are thanking you.
1: Yeah. I really do love them. I, You know, that Second Timothy passage, I just really feel that they're shackled to that place and blind, and uh, they put my plate on a table and out comes the abortionist, Randall Whitney. sits at the table with me, and we're talking, and I'm telling him he needs to repent of this, that there's no hope. I mean, you you have to repent of this. You've got thousands of babies' deaths on your... He goes, ah. he goes, John, there's one problem I... I think there's more than one way, and I said that's a real problem, Randall. I, the, there is no more than one way. So we're talking and all that, and then, like I said, t- I'm talking one on one, up walking around just like anyone would at a at a thing, and then they actually asked if I would wanted to speak. So I spoke, I spoke on that Second Timothy passage, and then I started to almost weep, and I said, you know, I love all you guys but you guys are caught up in something, in a machine that is just grinding you up. I said, you are blind, you can't even see it. And there's so much guilt just being piled upon you. So I went through this whole thing. I told them they needed to repent and all that. So I do that and then it's time to leave. So I go out the back door and it's like the strangest feeling ever. And I looked back at them and they thanked me again and I I thanked them and I said, I guess we go back at it on Friday, right? And they said, I guess so. So that was that. A couple weeks later, I'm there and I'm, you know, doing what I do normally. I asked this girl, the office manager, Megan, what's going on? I said, how come I don't see so-and-so, and and how come I'm seeing so-and-so from the other abortion clinic here? And he said, nobody told you, John? And I said, told me what? He said, after your little speech, half of the people quit. We had to shut down that other abortion clinic. We're trying to hire more people to get them in there. And then the funniest thing, they weren't able to get enough people to opened the other uh, place up, and they never opened back up. It was pretty cool. I always wondered, you know, I wondered why, but they quit because hearing the gospel, then that's good enough for me. I don't know, it's a crazy place. It's a crazy world, but we stand on one sure foundation, and we need to thank God for that every day. We've been able to do it all these years. God has never runs out. Like I said, uh, almost 20 years now. I've never had one girl that chose life tell me, I wish I would have killed my baby. And I've never had them say, God let me down. Not one. And that's a pretty good record he
0: has. As we wrapped up our conversation, John reflected on one particular story from the Bible that reminds him a lot about his own personal journey. Go to Mark chapter 5 and... uh
1: You'll see the story about a guy that Jesus was very concerned with, that that Jesus loved, that Jesus had a job for, that Jesus was going to make the first Gentile evangelist. And uh, where did he go find this guy? He went across the sea, and he goes into a cemetery. He finds a guy with a thousand demons in him. And that's where he goes. And he goes to this guy, and he calls him to himself. He cleans him up. He sends all the demons into a bunch of pigs, and they all run off a cliff and die. And everybody gets angry at Jesus. They want him out of there. So the guy that he heals, that we don't really get his name, wants to go with Jesus. Who wouldn't? You got a thousand demons you're relieved from. You're you're not in a cemetery anymore. You're not howling at the moon. You're not all of these things. But Jesus says, no, he won't let them get in the boat with him. And what does he do? He tells them, you go tell the people about the wonderful things that God has done. And that's how I've looked at my ministry is I go and tell people, about the wonderful things that he has done. Not that I have done. I would never do that. But look at the wonderful things that God has done. So that's what I try to be. I try to be that guy that just tells people. And he's open, since I've wanted to do that, he's opened so many opportunities. I've been able to speak at so many conferences and churches.
0: John, thank you for your time.
1: It's all him. It always is. has been. I was just a lost guy, should have been dead many times, a horrible sinner, and God in his mercy and grace has saved me, delivered me, and uh, I just want to point people to him.
0: You know, one other thing that John didn't mention during our interview was that in the midst of his years of ministry outside the abortion clinic, He was actually in a severe car accident that required back surgery and the surgical installation of a spinal cord stimulator. Then, three years ago, he had a stroke. At the beginning of this episode, I said that the world would have classified John as a broken man. And physically, he is. Cancer, brain aneurysm, spine surgery, a stroke, chronic pain. And yet, John believes that God has chosen to keep him alive for a reason to save the lives of children, and to share the good news of Jesus, just like the demoniac in Mark chapter five. I don't know about you, but I found John's story to be especially convicting. God is so kind and generous and is able to use any of us, no matter how broken we are or what background we have. He seeks us out, gives us life, and will work through us if we will submit our lives to him. God doesn't promise that the going will be easy, but he promises to never leave us. Today, John has personally seen over 3,000 mothers choose life while standing outside the abortion clinic. And John is the first to point out that it's not because of him, rather, it's because of God. John shows up, God shows off. If you'd like to learn more about John and his ministry, then visit our website, compoundpodcast.com find this episode and we'll include links and videos in the show notes, including several videos of women who chose life for their babies after speaking with John outside the clinic. The videos are beautiful and profound. If you'd like to support John's ministry or to send him a message, then his email address is jcbaros at aol.com. Again, that's J-C-B-A-R-R-O-S at aol.com. If this is your first time listening to COMPELLED, then thank you for tuning in. We release new episodes every two weeks, and that means you have plenty of time to catch up with our previous stories. If you were encouraged by today's testimony, then here are two more I think you'll especially enjoy. The first is episode number three with Carol Everett. She was an abortion clinic owner back in the 70s who was responsible for 30,000 abortions and believed that she was a faithful Christian. She prayed every day, kept a Bible in her desk, and tithed 10% of every dollar she earned from her abortion clinics back to her local church. Carol was so deep in her sin, she didn't even realize she was drowning in it. Only a miracle could save her. Again, that's episode number three with Carol Everett. The other story I'd recommend is not about abortion, but rather transformation. In episode 49, Ron Atkins was sentenced to almost 500 years in prison at the tender age of 19. Ron's violence eventually led him to solitary confinement for over a decade, where he was told he would remain until he died. Condemned by society and separated from humanity, Ron knew that he was utterly alone, or was he? Again, that's episode 49 with Ron Atkins. If you'd like to help us create more stories just like this one, then please join Compelled as a one-time or monthly supporter. Get started at compelledpodcast.com and click donate. And if you become a monthly donor of any amount, you'll get access to our entire catalog of full-length, unedited recordings. For context, my original interview with John was over two hours long, and there are so many other stories that we didn't have time to include. Probably my favorite was when his wife, Rebecca, spoke up and shared the story of how they got married just a few months ago. Yes, you heard that right. John Barrows, who is 69, just married Rebecca a few months ago. They're newlyweds. It's a beautiful love story and you can listen to it when you become a monthly donor. Also, we give all of our monthly donors early access to our next episode, one week early. So you can't beat that. Again, get started at compelledpodcast.com and click Donate. Today's episode was edited by Will Jackson, story editing by Nathan Webster, sound engineering by Zach Fowler, and our associate producer is my beautiful wife, Sarah Hastings. She just gave birth to our fourth child a few weeks ago, and she is a rock star. Stay tuned for a sneak peek from our next story with Susie Jacobson. As a little girl, Susie lost everything that mattered to her, her home, her family, and her friends. But in her loneliness, she found one friend who would never leave her behind. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story two weeks from now. We'll see you then. At this point, I get into court and I'm sitting next to my aunt. Uh, I don't remember all the details of the room, but I remember sitting next to her and my dad walked in and was being questioned or something. As she said, there were tears and weeping, and I just was shocked. I was not prepared, unfortunately, and I just broke down. I'd never seen my dad cry a day in my life, and she kind of hid my head in her chest. One last thing before I go. If you'd like to meet up this year in 2024— I will actually be on the road for a few events, either speaking or exhibiting at some conferences. I am still nailing down all the details, but already I know that I'll be at the Texas Homeschool Convention in Fort Worth from April 18th through 20th, the other Texas Homeschool Convention in Houston from May 30th through June 1st, the Home Educators Association of Virginia Convention in Richmond from June 6th through 8th,